What if I told you growth happens after the collapse? What if I told you separately we are weak, but together we change the world? This is a personal development social experiment designed to grow the participants, the producer, and the audience equally. This is 30 for 30. Welcome listeners, welcome viewers. This is the 30 for 30 featuring Coach Kurt Hines. Uh, my name is Marvin Nash. This is a idea that I just thought of. Uh, I'm thinking of a way to share and to give back and to help others. And my first thought was Coach Hines. Coach, do you mind uh, introducing yourself? Not at all. First of all, yeah, I know we just spoke briefly before you started recording, but I'm already a fan of yours, Coach, because uh, the little, little bit you shared with me about you know, how you got into teaching special needs and, and coaching and your, your passion for that and the challenges you uh, attack. Uh, I'm a fan, so I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I, I've coached high school football now for 25, uh, 23 years. I've been teaching elementary school for 25 years and uh, love everything about it. You know, the, 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 the weight room, the game planning, the chess match, uh, everything that, that goes with it. You know, for, for me, coaching is a platform to change lives you know it, it, it's a beautiful it's a violent and it's an amazing game uh and all that wrapped together it's an opportunity uh and i know i'm preaching to the choir but it's an opportunity to wake up every day and not to hope that when we're on our deathbed we can make a difference you know and look back but every single day we have a chance to impact people and make a difference so uh yeah i've been coaching I, my first uh gosh 19 years i've always coached high school football my first 19 were back in the East Coast in New Hampshire, where my wife and I raised our four children. And then our oldest daughter had come out to school at San Diego State. And uh, we visited, but you know, everything we knew, our whole existence, everything was back East. So we would joke about it. Wouldn't it be nice to live out there? But never gave it a serious thought until we had a grandson. And then uh, we prayed about it uh, because that's what we do. Uh, it's just who we are. But uh, we knew we didn't want to be Skype grandparents. You know, and uh, God opened some doors a lot quicker and, and a lot uh, in much greater ways than we could have ever imagined. So I uh, came out here to San Diego. I was an assistant for two years at a, a very successful, they still are, very successful private Christian school. And uh, just felt the calling to be a head coach again. So uh, I was a head coach back in New Hampshire of a brand new program and uh, took over the, the head coaching position at Coronado High School uh, and just finished my third year in uh, like all of us, get, getting ready for this new season, uh, however it, it may unfold with the times that we're facing right now. Right, right. Well, Coach, man, just I, I feel the energy already. But one thing that drew me to you uh, when I first saw your first post, I was like, so positive, so positive. Like, I, I feel like I can attack the day. You know, it was, it was a positive, positive post. And every other post I come across is all about uplifting others. Can you do you have any examples of what kind of made you become such a positive person? I really appreciate that. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm humbled by that because I was, I was talking to, uh, my 25 year old daughter's, uh, boyfriend, future son-in-law, uh, Jeremy, such an amazing young man. 
he's been living with us now for the past seven weeks, seven or eight weeks since this whole uh, quarantine thing happened. You know, he thought it'd be safer to just stay at one place and we welcomed him with open arms. But uh, he, were not, he and I were talking yesterday. We went out for a hike and I said, you know, I don't have that Inky Johnson story. I don't have that, you know, and nothing, nothing but love for Inky Johnson, you know, but, you know, there were certain times in my life where I kind of, you know, was not questioning God, but thinking, right, who am I to share these messages? I, I didn't come from hard times. I came from a blue collar, hardworking family. I was always supported, you know, all, all, not all, but 95% of the pain and the struggle I've been through has been self-inflicted. You know, growing up, I was a big drinker and I was a big fighter. I loved doing both. And it yeah, yeah, got me, I, I've been arrested more times than I'd like to admit, um, uh, but, but all blessings, you know, because it really makes me a better coach, not better than anyone else, but better than I would have been um, because I, I, I did have to spend a lot of time righting some wrongs and paying literally and figuratively for a lot of uh, uh, things that uh, were, were, were just, just foolishness growing up. Um, so for me, once again, just uh, the positivity comes from a, a life of, of being blessed. You know, it's just, uh, you know, teaching elementary school. And I've taught for 25 years. My wife and I were speaking about, about this just the other day. My first two or three years teaching, college degree, you know, I had my bachelor's. Um, we, we were on food stamps back in New Hampshire. And that was humbling. Like, like I, I remember like sleepless, crying nights. And my wife, God bless her, was the one that did and still does 95% of the shopping. She doesn't let me go with her anymore because I embarrass her. Uh, so she's a smart woman. But, uh, you know, th there were times where I thought, man, you know, this isn't right. You know, this, 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 why, why are we on food stamps? And it was so, I don't want to say humiliating, but that's how I felt, humbling. And then it was, uh, you know, it really, it was my wife, one that said, hey, listen, don't feel like, because I didn't feel like a man. I felt like less of a, I mean, I wasn't providing well enough for my family. And uh, she said, you know, th this is what it's there for. It's there for people that need a little boost, a little something. And it took us, you know, two or three years. And then we kind of got out of that hole and, and started making a little bit more money. Um, but we're in a place now where, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of savings. You know, retirement's a great word we hear people throw around. Don't know if we'll ever be able to do it. But, uh, but I'm in a position as a, as a teacher and a coach. That I, I just uh, absolutely love life and love the opportunity I have to connect not only with players and coaches and their families, but with, with people like yourself, just people who have a passion for what they do. Man, I really appreciate that. That, uh, that, that strikes home for me, man. I, I grew up, I grew up okay. You know, I, uh, you know, I had mom, uh, my dad left when I was three. We, uh, I probably seen him four times in the past 30 years. I'll say that maybe more okay. than 35 wow. years. So we don't have a relationship at all. Uh, I don't have any brothers or sisters, you know, I'm only child. And so uh, for me, it was uh, junior year, you know, mom is in education. She uh, a retired superintendent right now, you know, enjoying oh, her, her grandbabies. But uh, at the time she was an elementary principal and she was uh, stricken with stage four cancer. Uh, and so I'm a, I'm a junior in high school, uh, nobody else really to, to fall back on. And uh, kind of like you, I got, I kind of had a beef with God, which is, you know, it's so strange to say that, but I was, I was, why, why did, why do the good people have to suffer? Why does this have to happen? And it became me acting out and not being the best person that I could be. And it was coaches that stepped in, uh, much like yourself. Uh, you remind me of one of my high school coaches, my defensive coordinator, a lot, a whole he lot. He must have been a good looking dude. 
<laughs> you know, he was. He was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> now he uh, he stepped in and uh, he kind of showed me showed me the way. Showed showed me that this is how men respond when adversity hits. Because as an adolescent, you don't know how men respond. Your kids do, you know. Right. And so I, I've I've always kept that part of me. That that kind of I think it adds to my my positive nature is that I understand that these are kids that you got to give them fresh slate every single day. You try to teach yes. them. And you can't just hold it against the kid if they don't get it after the first. Well, yeah, and you know that. You mentioned your, your background now after having a career change in special education. Um, once again, not, when, I, when I say what makes me a better coach is not comparing to anyone else. Right, like, right. That would have been. But I, I think one thing that makes me a successful coach in my eyes, you know, forget about the wins and losses, you know, the impact we have in people's lives is being an elementary school teacher. I understand there are children, young men or young women, who have IEPs or 504s, they have these accommodations in the classroom. And I think way too often, they step through those locker room doors, take off their clothes, start putting on the pads, and coaches all too often forget. And they think, oh, this kid's lazy, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to be here, he thinks he's too good. And sometimes he cares just as much, if not more than someone else, but he just doesn't get it. He, he might be one of the best athletes, but he needs to see the play written up and drawn up 15 times compared mm-hmm. to someone else that just needs to see it once they just get it, you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that's so important for us as coaches to realize that any accommodations, trials, challenges people have outside of the field, it doesn't just leave them once they step onto that field. Mm-hmm. It's still there. And we have to look inside of each person differently and separately and, and get to, to meet their needs and empower them where they are. You know, I think one of the best things we can do as coaches is love our players enough to accept them for who they are, but not let them stay where they are. Mm-hmm. And that could be academically, athletically, spiritually, whatever it is that we feel like, you know, God's kind of calling us to pour into them. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, I couldn't agree more. I think raising the bar, uh, you know, you raise it high enough, you'll, you'll lose the people who choose just not to conform. Because there's a, there's a big difference between some who aren't able to or don't understand and, and those who just, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's absolutely between those two kids. But when you raise the bar really high, the ones who really want to reach there, if you're teaching them the right way, they'll get it. Um, I think, and this is just my experience with special education teachers in general, uh, some of the most beautiful people in the world, because they can see you for who you can be, not so much who you're just presenting at the moment, you know? Yeah. It, it kind of, it, it puts it all in perspective because it comes all the way around. This might shock some people, but I'm a black man, you know, I'm a freaking American. <laughs> Wait, in, what? In, you know, what? Yeah. yeah the it's color my, was off on my computer. <laughs> it's my Zoom background. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes. No, it's a, it, it, and it's amazing how so many people judge a book by the cover that they see. They, they yeah. never bother to, to hop into the contents. And you had a recent post, uh, the Ahmaud Arbery deal. I'll just speak yes. real quick. Wow. That, uh, man, that, that's, that hit home for me. My 14-year-old son, he's about six one and a half. He's about wow. 165, almost 170. He, he's athletic, sweetest kid in the world. You know, he's a yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am kid, just how he's raised. His mom doesn't play, neither do I, but she really doesn't play. But he can, uh, he can be judged just by his size. You know, he's a... Uh, yep. He's big in the theater, you know. He's a, he's an athlete, of course, but he's uh, he's big in the theater. He's big. He, lo- he loves English. He loves to read, but he can be judged based upon his strictly his appearance. And so when that happened, we live in a pretty decent neighborhood, not a bad place. But 
I'm, you know, I'm afraid to let him go walk our pub by himself. You know, it's one yeah. of the things. And a lot of people don't understand that conversation. I, uh, I had a couple of years ago, I taught at a uh, Christian school, a uh, really, really nice school, very affluent. Uh, I was the only uh, black person on campus, student or, <laughs> or teacher or yeah. faculty member. But I loved it there, and they loved me. They treated me very, very well. Uh, but, but teaching my government class, uh, and we were talking about you know, the amendments, and I talked about the 13th Amendment. And I mean, kind of step outside the box and see how there might be some bias to that, that you know, it might be a little institutionalized as far as the way things are set up, uh, where some people don't get the same opportunities as others. And uh, right. so they looked at it from a different perspective. But I mentioned something about having, I, I was like, anybody ever have the talk with you guys? And they kind of giggle, they're like, oh, that talk? I'm like, no, not that talk. <laughs> this talk, that you have to make sure you carry yourself with a smile on your face if you walk around. Uh, make sure you take your hood off when you enter a business. Uh, make sure you don't have your earbuds in so you can hear people talking to you. Uh, if you see a police officer and they stop you, you just stop and be very polite and uh, say, yes, sir, no, sir, just like, like I always taught you. And, and no matter what happens, just make sure you're compliant enough to come home. We'll sort anything else out from there. And they never heard that talk before, but that's a talk I had way back in the early 80s with my mom. And it hasn't changed yet. And I want to know what can we do as, you know, influencers? Because that's who we are. We're coaches. We influence more people yep. than some people than any, anybody else in a lifetime. Would. How can we change the view? Because uh, those problems don't happen all the time in the locker room. Almost never. It's a melting right. So what can we do, Coach, to make that better? Well, I think you already, you know, for me, you hit the nail on the head as far as we, we need to realize the platform we have as coaches. And a platform, even if coaches aren't on social media, well mm -hmm. before social media, we have a platform. We have a captive audience of young men. Once again, I always say young women because over 23 years I've coached now, I've had about five young women I've coached um, who most of them play football because they want to. You know, every so often a parent may say, hey, you have to play something. But the, I, we, I think we have a biased opinion. Football is not easy. You know, right. they have to play something <laughs> and they don't want to play football. They're going to go out for something else. Uh, a little less painful, a little, little easier. Um, I think we need to use our voices. You know, I, I, I think people shy away from those hard conversations. And I actually, you know, one of the coaches on my staff here in Coronado is a black man. Uh, we have, uh, I think, about 12 coaches on our staff and four of them, you know, currently four of them are black. And uh, when Abby, our 25-year-old, started dating Jeremy, my future son-in-law, who uh, is truly one of the greatest young men I've ever met, J just loves God. He's, he's, a, he's a, just a, a beacon of light. Just, just, you can see it in his eyes, his smile. Um, I asked my coach, Phil, I said, Phil, I said, do you consider yourself black or, or Native American? And he looks at me and he goes, coach, uh, I said, Native, my, my wife's going, not Native American, African-American, sorry. I, I said, you're black, <laughs> African-American. And he looks yeah. at me, he goes, coach, I've never been to Africa. He goes, I'm black, I'm black. <laughs> and, and I think some of these people, they, we are so PC in a world sometimes that we're afraid to, to broach things and say things. And I think we just need to be tra transparent. And yes, I see color. You know, and, and, and as I said in the video, it's not a bad thing to see color. It's not a bad thing to see religion or gender or whatever. It's bad when we use that lens and we start treating people differently. So I think what we have to do with our players um, and those we teach is have those honest conversations, you know, and not feel guilty for it. But, you know, when I talked about some of the trouble I got into growing up, 
the biggest trouble I got into, I was on probation for three years. My parents, and once again, they were not well off, but they refinanced their house to pay for lawyer fees and all that stuff. I got into a fight with three police officers. I had to pay for the time they missed out of work. I had, you know, just a whole slew of things. Um, I, I should have gone to prison. I mean, I went to jail for a few nights. I should have gone to prison for three years. It was a felony for each one. Um, I, I, I hate to think of it this way, but if I wasn't a white kid at the time fighting back and doing that, and I was a black young man, maybe I would have been shot. You know, and, and it's crazy to think that. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, our future grandsons, as you mentioned with your son, may not live in a world where they can go out and walk down the street and not have to look over the shoulder or wonder, hey, I'm walking by a certain whatever, house, store, business, whatever, and this may not be safe for me. You know, um, I, I think the best thing we can do as coaches is not avoid those tough conversations. And at the same time, and I'm speaking about, you know, for myself as a white man, not try to claim that we understand. You know, once again, Jeremy, we went, out, we went on a walk the other day and I told him in the seven weeks he's lived here, been here every day, we're sharing meals together, we're working out together, we're, we're having great conversations. I, I had high school, few, not many, college teammates that were black, some of my best friends. But in college and stuff, man, our best friends, we were hanging out, drinking, and just partying all the time, you know, and playing football. We weren't having those deep conversations. So now God's opened the door for me and for our family for me to know someone who's seen struggles and similar as you said, he's, he never knew his father. You know, his mother raised him and his, his twin brother. And these guys, you know, went to Ohio State and just are, are just, once again, just some of the greatest people I've ever met. You know, he and his brother, his mother, his mother, Kathy's phenomenal. Um, so we're, we're, I think we just need to realize as coaches that uh, we, we probably have one of the greatest platforms. As you mentioned, it doesn't happen in the locker room. You know, people see people as a football player. They don't care if you're black, white, fat, skinny, tall, redhead, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> If you can play ball, they want you on the team. They, they, they want Absolutely. to have you there. And if you're a selfless player, if you're someone that says, hey, I'll truly play wherever coach wants me to play, then all the better. So I think we need to use that platform and gift we have and continue to foster and develop and build relationships that will then change the world. You know, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, the, the word culture gets thrown around all the time. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but, but I'm a firm believer that culture is built one relationship at a time. You know, it sounds so cliche, but man, I mean, tr truly, you, you mentioned it and I, and I greatly appreciate it, but you've been following me for years on Twitter and mm -hmm. I think I just recently followed you back. So I apologize for just recently following you back. <laughs> no but, worries. But, but in the first, in the first three minutes conversation we had coach prior to you even recording, I'm like, man, I love this guy. <laughs> just the, the fact that you had shared, you know, some challenges you have and then one of the reasons you started this podcast, that, that speaks volumes to who you are. You know? I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm big on being transparent and I do that with everybody I meet. And I think you said culture is one relationship at a time. I think you build that relationship based on that transparency. So if I'm fake and phony, the kids will be the first ones to recognize it. And they'll Amen. call a coach out on that in a heartbeat. Like coach, you're not even like that. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When I get fake outrage and start yelling and screaming and then, that coach it's not you <laughs> when you're mad you teach us that's that, that's what it yeah, teaches exactly well yeah, yeah, and so, someone asked me one time they said you know what advice would you give to a young coach and the more I thought about it and I've been blessed to coach with some amazing men men that know the game but more importantly in my opinion know the platform and the, the reason you have this 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 platform but I've also coached with guys that I, I wouldn't let step in my house 
good guys that I just think, man, man, they, they say one thing in front of parents or administration, but they are completely different when they're with their young men and, and bully, derogatory, horrible. Um, but I, I think it's so important for us to be, as you mentioned, transparent, because it, it's, we, we mention all the time, we as a, as, a, as a coaching fraternity, for lack of better terms, about, you know, we want to help make better young men, you know, help them be better husbands and fathers. But then you hear all the time about coaches bragging about, oh yeah, my family doesn't see me during the season. They know it's football season. I thought, man, what are you doing? How, how many, how many marriages are ruined? You might win championship rings at the same time you're losing wedding rings because you're not putting family first. Um, I've been blessed where when I was a head coach in New Hampshire and now here in Coronado, whenever I've been a head coach, I tell my staff or our staff, we will not meet on Sundays. Sunday's a family day. You, you can watch film on your own if you want, but we will meet a few more hours Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, but Sunday has got to be family because you, you don't want your wife or children to look back and resent the fact that you're a coach because you're putting other people first. You know, I, I, I think ultimately you have to, if we want to teach balance, we have to model it just like anything oh, else. hundred percent, hundred percent. There's so much that can be said for modeling how things should go. Because uh, they'll look at your example before they listen to what you have to say. That's, yes. that's 100% coach. Man, you, uh, you hit on so many things. I want to make sure I don't lose them all. Uh, first, uh, just rewinding a little bit, talking about not seeing color. Uh, I remember the first time I heard somebody say that, and instantly my thought process is uh, I, was, I think I was 18, 19. I was in college, playing college football, and it was one of the coaches on staff there. And oh, then maybe I was going to start. I don't see color. And I, instantly in my, in my mind I said, I'm invisible. If you right. don't color, then you don't see me. You, you, you don't you don't even take the time to know me. I'm I'm just uh, I'm less than a number to you because I'm invisible. You don't see the the very first thing you notice about anybody when you walk towards them. You know you don't know yep. what type of shoes they got on. If it, you don't know it's a wedding ring, you don't know it's a fancy watch. You notice what they look like. That's the first thing you notice. Right. You begin to build, and it's not about you know not seeing color. It's about seeing past color and opening the book and getting to know the person. Seeing the person, yeah. I remember that there was a, real quick, there was a teacher years ago, this was probably my second or third year teaching elementary school, and we were in a staff meeting and this particular woman, very nice, but she said, I treat every single student the same. And people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember just that that didn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. And finally I spoke up and I'm like, no. And people were like, wait, what? You know, what do you, what do you mean no? I'm like, if we treat every student the same, that, that's assuming they all come from the same family, the same background, that they're all well loved and cared for or they're all abused and that's not the case they all come from different backgrounds regardless of what the you know where i where i teach in our coaching coronado now i love it but it's a very 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 affluent community you know we have the naval base there so we have a great mix of different uh backgrounds but there there are some multi-million dollar homes that man they look like they belong on the front of a magazine somewhere in the movies but i know for mm-hmm. a fact behind those closed doors there's abuse there's neglect there's drug abuse there's violence there's depression so we have to treat everyone differently and and that's not a bad thing and we have to see color because that's as you mentioned that's acknowledging i see you as a human being not as just a number on a roster i see you as a person yes 100% I, I had a coach say that one time, and that never, never really made sense to me until I became a coach. I, and he said, "You can treat them all, treat them all fairly, but you can't treat them all equal." And I said, "That makes perfect sense." Now, yeah. you know, it's uh, one of my favorite poems, and, and you know, as an educator, uh, I read it all the time. But it alludes to this: uh, the title is "Cause I Ain't Got a Pencil," 
And so it talks about how a kid gets up in the morning, gets his younger siblings ready. They didn't have any food to eat. Uh, he, he got them dressed. They didn't have running water, so they had to they had to go get bottled water to try to brush their teeth. Uh, Getting to school, they had to walk, and it was it was cold that morning. Uh, barely made it. Walked in the door, and then the teacher's yelling at him because, "Hey, get your pencil out. You don't have a pencil." He said, "All of this because I didn't have a pencil." And so that that reminds me every single time that you better get to know the kids that you're dealing with because you don't know what kind of baggage they're walking in the door with. You have no clue what they go through at home. Amen. I was one of those kids, man, and it, it changed my life because mom was sick, and I would walk in, I'd walk into school with the same smile on my face because I didn't want to show any weakness. Because as an adolescent, you don't know how to be a man. You think if you're if you actually are transparent with your emotions that you're weak, right? So the big thing for me was I'm just gonna have a smile, and everybody asks me how I'm doing, I'm fine. I wasn't fine, and it took a, a real teacher to get to know me a little bit better so I could open up and trust them to say what was going on with me. And then that's where I was able to get the help I need. And that's what made me in the position where I am right now as a, as a person who cares. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. The, the things that you're doing coach are huge. And I wish we had more coaches that would, that would follow that model. I know we can't change everybody and everybody has their own style, but if we would all put the kids first, I think we we live in a wonderful world. We, we built yeah. future leaders who can, turn this nation around. I, I appreciate it. You know, and my, my wife and I, we talk often. I, I think she may have even come up with this, you know, as far as, you know, our conversations, but she talks about how everyone has the interview answers and she's talking when she goes for a job interview. One of the things she tries to say to people is, you know, please call my previous employees because someone's going to have a better education than me. Someone's going to have more experience than me, but find out how I treat people, find out how I, how I am. Cause everyone's going to have, to say the right things in the interview. And mm-hmm. how I take that into coaching is every coach, whether through Pop Warner all the way up and through in the NFL, they're going to talk about it's the fundamentals. Blocking, tackling, wrapping up, uh, building character and all that stuff. But sooner or later, labor, sooner or later, the proverbial crap's going to hit the fan and mm-hmm. then the true colors show. So that, that, that's so important for me. You know, for our players to see, I, I'm very animated. I, I get excited Every, every day, I practice every day in the weight room. I'm, I'm just, I'm that, that's who I am. But when we're losing, I'm the exact same way. And when I'm mm-hmm. yelling at someone, it's never in a derogatory way. We have a no swearing policy, you know, on, on our program. Um, not because I, I think any less of anyone that swears. I know some very, very intelligent, successful people that swear as much as I breathe. But there's a reason, there we, we just do because I want to teach the young men a little bit more discipline and saying, mm-hmm. listen, I don't want to be in a game preseason, regular or postseason, and have what we think is a bad call and have someone go off the handle, a player or a coach, and have it cost us more yards. You Absolutely. Know? Mm-hmm. But, but I, I think, you know, get, going full circle to what you discussed a little bit earlier is our players are going to see who we are, you know, and mm-hmm. as soon as they feel and just sense that we're acting and pretending to be someone we're not, there goes all our credibility. Mm-hmm. Out the window. You're right. Yep. Now, Coach, let's switch gears a little bit because uh, – you know, I've been in the game 15 years or so, and I know there's ups and downs with coaching. Can you tell me in all of your years of coaching, have you went through a point where you felt a little burnt out and you felt like you're, you're giving your all to this purpose, but you don't necessarily see the results that you want? And how did you overcome that? Great question. Yeah, you know, what, you know what's funny about this? Uh, that time that I started to feel a little burnt out was back in New Hampshire. You know, when I took the head coaching job at this particular school, it was a brand new high school, very affluent community. We had no seniors my first year. 
Um, we get our teeth kicked in like week after week. I joke about it, Bob. Like, man, at the end of every game, when teams walk through and shake hands, they always say, good game. No one even mm-hmm. lied to us. They were like, beautiful field. Like, they didn't even tell us good game. Like, man, we're that, we're that bad. Uh, but it, it wasn't then. So what happened was, we, you know, lost every game my first year as head coach. I was questioned by everyone on everything. Lost, uh, only won two games my second year, five games my third year. Um, we ended up building a powerhouse. We ended up um, having 144 players in our program, going to the state championship three out of the last four years I was there prior to moving. But it was uh, one of the years that I had gone to the state championship. Not I. We had gone to the state championship. And uh, we, we were just killing teams. And we had built a tremendous program. And I kind of lost my why. Because what happened was I had certain players, I won't even mention the positions, but we could win a game by 44 points or whatever it was, and there'd be certain parents chirping in the stands because we didn't pass enough or we didn't run enough that particular game or whatever it was. And uh, we had a banquet one year at the end of the season. And uh, that particular year, about five head coaching positions opened up throughout the state. And I made some joke about it saying, hey, if you don't want to be the parents in the stands supporting your sons, apply for that job and go be a head coach, you know, somewhere else. Um, I, I get a lot of emails from parents saying, oh, that was great, because they knew who the, the two fathers I was talking about. Obviously, I didn't know uh-huh. their names. Not a shining moment for me. I, I, yeah. I, it didn't sit well with me, because I, I took the attention off the young men. Mm-hmm. I selfishly, not selflessly, selfishly made it about me and my, mm-hmm. my soft skin and my hurt feelings and all that. And I look back at it now, I'm like, man, we were winning games. We, we, we were doing great things, but I, I lost my why for a little bit. And, and now some of the best years I've had as a coach, some we've gone to win division or conference championships or, or state championships. Some we've been 500 or, or sub 500 have been some of my favorite years because that's when I'm really focusing on what I claim to care most about. And that's empowering those I coach and those I coach with. Um, so, so it, it's, it's been a number of years now, but that's why I think I'm more on fire about coaching now than ever because my why just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Every time I talk to a young man who's failing and then I can help him to get his grades on track or he's depressed and you can help them steer through one season of their life, um, that continues to, to validate for me what I know I've been called to do. So it, for me, it's all, it's all about what your why is and it might be... Uh, I think it's different for all of us as coaches. You know, and I could have a hundred coaches say it's about empowering other young men. And I believe that for, for most of them, because certain people say that then you see the true colors. But I think once we get to know coaches on a more personal level and we'll realize, wow, this coach went through some really hard stuff personally, whether it was yourself, a single mom and no other siblings. And you had to kind of, not raise her, but when she was going through the pain and the sickness and everything, be there for her or whatever it was. Um, I, I, I think it's an, it's an empowering thing for us when we realize that, uh, man, look, look at, I, I'm a Cowboys fan, even from the East yeah. Coast. Yeah, okay, my, 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 my wife, My wife and all my, my 99% of the family I have from back East are all Patriots fans. Uh, uh-huh. The reason I say that is, you know, my wife and I were at a restaurant years ago back in New, uh, New Hampshire. And we're watching some football game. I don't remember who the Patriots were playing, but there were some jack wagons sitting at the bar, bad mouth and Belichick. Like he has no idea what he's doing. He needs to hang up the whistle. And th- this was probably like 10 or 15 years ago. And uh-huh. I remember my wife saying, even, and I'm not comparing myself to any Belichick by any stretch of the imagination, 
but but I was saying to her like even coaches at the top of their game are going to have people that question everything they do. Mm -hmm. They're going to have people that question their knowledge or ability or whatever it is. So I think if we want to stay in this game, if, if gentlemen like yourself and I, and I know there's a lot of people out there like us, truly love the platform we have, our why for coaching has got to be greater than just winning championship rings. Because if that's the only reason, we're not going to last long. You know, and, and we're not going to be able to touch as many lives as we've been called to touch. Absolutely. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Coach. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I know for me personally, I focus more on relationships than I do on X's and O's, than I do on winning, than I do on anything else. Because I can't demand excellence from anybody if we don't have an excellent relationship. You know? Right. You know, like, I can demand whatever I want, but they're not going to listen to me. We have to be able to believe in each other and understand that we all have a common goal. And I think one of the hardest things you have to deal with as a coach, and I know I've seen this over the years, is say, yeah, we're all in the same boat, but you got some people rowing real hard in the front yes. and then got a handful in the back drilling holes. And so yep. be able to fill those holes and, and keep, the, keep the boat moving, man. So it's, yeah. uh, it's been a journey without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny too as far as relationships because I struggled as a student all the way from preschool through high school. I did very well in college because I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I had a vested interest in my parents helped me a little bit, but I, I was paying for my schooling, um, the great majority of it. And it was a seventh grade math teacher for me that uh, I remember sat, sat on his desk at the beginning of every class and talked to the class about life, about football or theater or dance or cheerleading. And I remember thinking to myself in seventh grade, this guy, his name is Mr. Nick, Nicholas, this guy cares about me. And because of that, I wanted to do well for him. Now, I never lit the world on fire as far as math, you know, my math grades. I remember I passed. Mm -hmm. uh, but, it, but it was all because he took the time to get to know us as people that I wanted to do more for him. I, wa I wanted to, to make him, you know, see the success I could have because of him. And I've seen that with players. I've seen players who far exceed anyone. And I love when they exceed their own expectations also. And it's not because we're doing something magical. But we're building relationships and they're knowing that we're not pouring into them. And I've seen the horrible side of coaches that pour into the studs, but walk right, literally walk right by someone that's not a first string player until mm -hmm. they need something from them. And I, yep. and I think men talk about kids seeing that young men and young women, and they read people well, you know, they see a lot through all the BS and they see that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I love when my players see me in the weight room, coaching up someone on, on power cleans or hand cleans, whatever it is, and spending just as much, if not more time with them than I am with a starter, they see that and they realize, all right, co coach is not just saying this on social media or whatever. He's really pouring into each of us, not just the people who are gonna help us win a championship. And, I, and I think that's, that's what it's all about. That's everything, man. I, uh, my first high school, I, I coached middle school for a number of years. My first high school experience, I was a head freshman coach and it happened quick. I, I was hired on as a, as a freshman team assistant and then, Something happened, guy made some movements, some things happened. Head coach says, hey, I want you to be the head coach of the freshman. I said, okay, let's go. One thing that I did, uh, more than anything else, we had, a, in, you know, in Texas, we have 300 people in the program. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So many kids playing football. Uh, but we had an A team and a B team. And you had your A team was limited to the number of jerseys, which we had about 35 jerseys for the A team. Everybody else is B team. So you, we didn't cut. Nobody gets cut. Everybody else is B team. So we may have 65 kids on the B team. I would send in uh, some of the other coaches with the A-team, let them go lift. Uh, you know, after we went through about an hour of practice, 
And I spent the, the next hour with the B team by myself because I was, I was like, let's, uh, let's get some relationships. First of all, I don't know everybody's name because it's a hundred of you out here in front yeah. of all the four coaches. So let's get to know each other. And throughout the year, we saw the development and, you know, maybe, maybe athletically, maybe not, but I mean, personal development. I saw yeah. believing in himself and growing. And my favorite story is when as a young man, he, uh, he was in band and he was our B team quarterback and he was about 83 pounds soaking wet and, but greatest kid, uh, I won't say his name now, but he's one of the greatest kids ever. And he, uh, he, he called me, I'd moved on. I'd taken another coaching job. I thought it was big time at one of these powerhouses in Texas or whatever, but he called me. He's like, coach, uh, I, uh, I'm going up playing college football. I was like, what? That's like last time we talked. That's awesome. I let it go to go play too. He's like, nope, I'm going to play college football. And now he, uh, he's found his call and he's a GA at the college program now. And he's going to be a phenomenal quarterbacks coach one day. That's awesome. Just, uh, you know, it, it, it lets you know why, why would you ever, ignore any kid that had it because you don't know their potential nobody knows their potential they don't even know their potential right they, they don't even know who they're going to be yet and so he went from being a, a pretty good tuba player he wasn't bad but to <laughs> a, a future big time he'll be a powerhouse a, a fbs offensive coordinator before you know it and it's just you can't be prouder because you know it, it's it's in your heart to see these kids grow and be the best they can be yeah that's awesome that's awesome well and obviously you know as well you, you love stories like that, but even there, there are too many stories to, to have time for now, but I've had players, I'm sure you have had too, that, you know, back in New Hampshire, you know, when we had built a powerhouse, we, we would have 14 running backs in our varsity, you know, mm -hmm. and, and most of them would play JV, but you know, we had one year, we had this young man who, man, he was like out of 14 running backs, he was like number 15. And on a, on a good practice, he might carry the ball five times and gain half a yard. Mm -hmm. uh, but he ended up scoring a touchdown in a varsity game one time because we put him in and, and we were just uh, killing the team and I wanted to get everyone reps. And uh, he talked about that his senior year when we had a chance for each of the seniors to talk about what, what football meant for, for them. And uh, he had tears in his eyes. I had tears in my eyes. I think most of the team did. Now, he never went on to play college anything. But that, that, that's something – he was part of something larger than himself. And I'm sure that's going to help him throughout the rest of his life. And in return, you know, talk about the ripple effect when you pour into someone's life. I have no doubt that he's going to be that type of coach, whether he coaches or not. He'll be that type of coach in someone else's life that pours into someone that may not fit the mold of someone that is a stud in anything, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that story because you, you're making these lasting memories. And I, th I truly believe a coach can – either make it the best experience or the absolute worst experience in a young man's life. You can, you can change somebody's whole outlook on sports by the power you have as a coach. And we should not ever, ever take that lightly. I know yeah. we have some guys in our profession that do, but we shouldn't ever do that. And on, on that same vein, coach, you know, one of my biggest uh, pet peeves, I've got, I've got a lot of pet peeves. I, I need to work on that. <laughs> but one, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you hear, I hear people say, oh, sports build character. Like, no, sports only build character when coaches intentionally coach character and live mm -hmm. it, you know, because once again, I've, I've coached on some staffs where that, that is true. And I've coached on some where it's the farthest thing from the truth, you know, and just, you know, we wouldn't go into a practice or a game without a game plan. And I think our game plan, I think sometimes I know in my 23 years, I've over complicated things as far as trying to build culture. And the more I focus on culture, the more I realize is 
It's not about posters on a wall. And there's nothing against posters on a wall. It's nothing about fancy t-shirts. It's about relationships, you know, and, and, and you know, without getting preachy to anyone for, for me, I've, I grew up Catholic. I spent 14 years in the Mormon church when I met my wife, she was Mormon. And, and all that was great to help build me into the person I am now. Now we go to a non-denominational church. Um, it's just a Christian church. And my personal relationship with Christ has never been stronger because I focus on one thing. Yeah. My relationship with him. That's uh -huh. it. You know? That's huge. Yes. It's, it's not about rules or laws or standards or fitting into some you know, dress code or whatever. It's just who do I answer to at the end of every day and who do I try to live and serve for every day? You mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my coaching mentors, man, he always tells me, you know, it's, it's a simple game. You know, he's an older gentleman. He's, he's been, I've you know, probably coached 50 years or so, but he, uh, he always says it's a simple game. We, we overcomplicate it. And he's like, I'm not <laughs> a football. I'm talking about life. <laughs> it's a simple, mm -hmm. game. we overcomplicate it. I say, like, you're hundred percent right coach. hundred percent right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Coach Hines, I got one last question for you, and it's going to kind of put you on the spot, but that's kind of on purpose. I love it. Um, this is, uh, you know, it's the 30 for 30. You're going to define your title for this 30 for 30 video cast podcast slash YouTube video. Um, so if you have a, a mission statement, uh, something that defines you in one sentence, what would it be? As much as I care about the game, I care more about the people. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, that would be it. That, that's, that's someone asked me one time and, and it kind of just came out like that, but I'll, I'll never forget it because I, I'm, as I mentioned in the very beginning, I, I love everything about this. When I, when I meet with parents, especially the moms, I'm like, listen, this is a violent, violent game. And you can see some moms, and I'm so surprised when they're surprised. I'm like, it's a violent game. It's a brutal game. It's, and I, I do let them know it's safer than ever, you know, mm -hmm. for so many yes. reasons. But I, I love the chess match. I love everything about it. But as much as I love the game, I love the people. I love the platform because uh, it's that, that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's, I've coached with some friends of mine. I played college ball that, uh, that were on my staff when I was a head coach in New Hampshire. And this one guy, I mean, he could remember games from our sophomore year in college. He's like, do you remember this? And remember every little detail. I'm like, I don't. I don't know if I was too concussed or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I remember the people. I, re I remember, you know, the old adage, people will remember what you say. Or they won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how they feel when they're around you. I'm a yes. firm believer in that. It's just, you know, when I walk into a room, whether it's my home, my classroom, the weight room, our team room for meetings, the locker room, I want people to go and just know things are going to be okay. You know, whether mm -hmm. we're winning, losing, whatever it is, I just want them to just to feel something different. That's huge. That's huge, Coach. And again, like I said, I've been following you for years and – when I'm very selective on who I follow too. Right now, I only follow people who are positive and inspirational. And because I'm also the recruiting coordinator for my high school, I follow all these college coaches. There you go. But with, uh, like I said earlier, you know, when, as soon as I started seeing the content you were putting out, I said, this is somebody that uh, I would love to talk to one day. So this is a, uh, this is an honor. This is awesome. Well, right. no, tr tr truly the, the honor is mine. It's, it's, uh, I'll say one more just quick thing here. Uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Covey is, is an yeah. old school, uh, author and speaker and whatnot, but uh, a friend of mine who I met out here, uh, through church had shared, uh, one of his writings talking about ego. And, uh, I want to make sure I'm giving credit. This is not, this is Stephen Covey, but, uh, 
talked about uh, ego. And, and when I, whenever I heard the word ego, I always thought about the cocky, arrogant, you know, the, the, and I love football, but there's a lot of cocky, arrogant coaches out there because of the logo they have or the school they coach for, they think they're better and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he described ego as every time we edge God out, E-G-L. And for Ooh. me, that, that was a paradigm shift. So, um, oh, see, my wife's over here. Um, it's not Stephen Covey. She's right. It's Wayne Dyer. Wayne, Wayne Dyer. Dyer. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, I married up, by the way. I, I, I outkicked my coverage. Um, yes, sir. She, uh, thank you, hon. Uh, Wayne Dyer. But same thing, you know, different, different author. But uh, mm-hmm. and for, for me, that was a paradigm shift because um, when I get asked to speak, you know, I, I was blessed to speak in the Bahamas, of all places, a few months back for ADT Securities. And when they first approached me, I was like, who, who am I to, to, I'm not this guy, I'm not that guy, I'm not that woman, whatever. And mm-hmm. it, it kind of slapped me upside the back of the head of, you know, the, hey, stop edging God out. If you're yeah. called to do something, if you're called to a certain school or a certain platform, trust God and go with it. Stop questioning or doubting your abilities and just know that if we do our part, you know, I'm a firm believer in the saying, you know, God will help you move mountains, but don't mm-hmm. be surprised when he hands you a pick and a shovel. You know, we, yes. we, we, we got to do the work, you know, uh-huh. uh, but then, but then also realize that, you know, we're not God, we're not in control that, you know, we, we've got to do our part, but he's going to help move mountains for us. Um, but it's really helped me to let go of my ego. I don't ever think I've been cocky or arrogant, although I think some people that don't know me may feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I have definitely had an ego in the sense that I've edged God out and I hate to say doubted or questioned him, but doubted or questioned him in what he's doing in my life. So the, the, the older I get, a little bit wiser sometimes, uh, it helps me to appreciate more just trusting him and, and, and just taking every day as the gift that it is. Amen. Amen. That, that hits home more so in, in these times than anything else. Be thankful for every day and take it as it is and, and don't, don't edge God out. I won't ever forget that now. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, well, Wayne Dyer again. So thanks, thanks for my life. <laughs> it reminds me of like the episode of The Office where Michael Scott has a quote from Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, and he puts. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to attribute that. <laughs> I, I wish I didn't have these in right now because my wife's over here. Um, Coach Nash, he just mentioned uh, The Office. That that is on in our house twenty four seven. That, that oh, yeah. is the greatest show of all time. Love that. <laughs> I I agree. I I flip on TV. You know, especially times like now when. There's not a lot going on. I'll be like, okay, what should I, should I watch? Any, any new show? Nah, The Office. Let's turn it. Yeah, we, we can watch the news and watch the same depression, you know, depressive mm-hmm. you know, stuff or, or get a laugh and, and, and relax a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Coach Heisman, I, this has been time well spent. Uh, some gems have been dropped. I can't wait to go back and re-listen to everything that was said here because as much as I digested and was able to absorb all the positivity, I know I missed a lot. So I can't wait to hear it again. What I would like for you to do now, Coach, if you could just drop your Twitter handle any way people can follow you so they can get the same inspiration I've been getting. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, Coach. Uh, the, the, my Twitter and Instagram and all that is uh, Coach Kurt Hines. So uh, Coach K-U-R-T-H-I-N-E-S. Uh, I have a, a, a CoachKurtHines.com uh, website for speaking events. And things like that and then uh our podcast i do with a friend of mine um is uh for what it's worth coaching podcast and he's a baseball guy but uh very like-minded like yourself just just, uh loves people and uh loves the opportunity to just uh just share his passion with people fantastic fantastic i can't wait to listen thanks coach i appreciate that i appreciate you
Yes, sir. Well, enjoy and uh, stay safe in these times and uh, look forward to connecting with you soon. Hey, you're awesome, Coach. God bless. We'll talk soon. God bless, Coach. Thank you. All right. Take care. Sure.